Hello, and welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. So great to be with you. I feel really honoured and privileged to be here with the Lighthouse family. Uh, Like um, Pastor Josh said, I am from Tamworth. I was walking along the beach at like kind of quarter past six this morning and you know, the beautiful colours were starting to spread through. And I was like, wow, Wollongong is blessed. You guys are so blessed. And then I thought, you know what, in Tamworth, we're blessed too. I was like, like, Wollongong doesn't have, and then I couldn't think of anything that we have, (laughs) that you have. So anyway, well, praise the Lord. But, um, but Tamworth is a great, you know, we feel called there. We feel like, so everything else is inconsequential. (laughs) Everything that we lack is inconsequential because we feel like we're meant to be there. We've raised our family there. I moved there with my husband after one year uh, of marriage and we um, began our family. We've raised three children there. Uh, Our daughter, Isabella, she's just moved to Sydney for uni. She's like, she's got all the drive and intensity of her father, if you know my husband, Darren. She's like, go, go, go. And then she's got all the craziness and and loudness that I had when I was her age before life beat it out of me. Um, Just kidding. Uh, um, No, she's, so she's like full on. She's so full on. And then our son, Lockie, he is, his one goal is to make the NRL. And when he was 12 and I suggested that perhaps he might need a backup plan, he took that as you don't believe in me, mum. So I kind of did the knee jerk reaction and have gotten him to every single game that I could possibly. He was supposed to go to his school excursion yesterday, but it was his team's last chance to make the finals. So Daz offered to drive him to Canberra from Tamworth, an eight-hour trip, and then turn around and come back to make it for church. So it would have been a 16-hour drive in 19 hours. And, um, and then one of our pastors who didn't want Daz to die uh, said, hey, my father-in-law's got a plane. Maybe he could take you. And so and Daz is like, yes, please. And then, and then what happened was that Daz got sick. So Lockie literally played his game of footy, made the finals, ran off the field, got delivered to the airport in a plane to his school excursion in Canberra. We are creating a monster. Um, <laughs> and so apart from that, um, then there's Katie. She's in year nine and she is just the delight. But any babies of the family in the room, you are the salt of the earth. You are the best in the world, Katie Bennell. And uh, she's our genius. She's our creative. She's our little introvert. She's equally likely to, um, you know, work for the U.S or Doctors Without Borders or become a cat lady and probably the third one is her preference. And, uh, and so we, we love our family, we're pumped and, um, and I'm really glad to be here. Pastor Annette has been a great champion of me. She coached me at a pivotal time and Pastor Annette, you might not know this, but you coached me at a time when um, you made me make really wise decisions away from ego and into the direction of wisdom and I'm forever grateful because you set up my next few years not to be frustrated but to be set up for a win, so I'm grateful. I'm grateful to Pastor Paul. Yes, please give your senior leader a hand. I'm grateful for Paul because whatever you want to say, that's a really negative way to start that sentence. Speak well of your leader. Um, But what I would say about Pastor Paul is the man's got, he's got guts. He has just got so much courage. He kind of tends to go with all the things that aren't popular yet and takes all the hits and gets on the front foot and deals with it all. And then when it becomes popular, other people take the credit for all the wins that he's done. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful as a woman in leadership um, because, you know, I came from a denomination that didn't believe that women could be in ministry. And Pastor Paul is something, our movement was kind of chugging along like this. And then Pastor Paul started leading it and it was just like, boom. And women were empowered. I'm so grateful for him. Grateful for Josh and Talia, like you said, great friends of ours. Grateful for Andy and Elise, new friends of ours who love God and love people. So 
they're easy to be friends with. All right. Okay, well, the title of this morning's message is, You Can Always Count on God to Be Enough. You Can Always Count on God to Be Enough. Now, the subtitle is Know Who You Are and Who You Aren't, Lessons from John the Baptist, because in order for you to know that God is enough for you, there needs to be this sneaky little realisation that God wants to work in your heart that you are not enough. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I am not enough. Now, you'll be like, Josh said you were encouraging, Bron. It's going to get there. This is the most liberating truth that you can come up with, that actually you are not enough. You know, you might intrinsically feel like that. Has anyone felt, I'm just not enough. I just don't have the goods. I'm, I don't have what it takes. Anyone, any friends in the room this morning? Any friends, maybe like my daughter, my eldest daughter, who just feels like she's a bit extra, like she's a bit too much, and that she's a bit too much for people, like a bit too full on. Any friends in the room who feel like you're not enough because you're too much for people? Yeah, amen, I feel you. And, uh, and, and that, that is the case also. <laughs> All the extroverts are cackling over here because that's what they do. Um, and so just feeling like you're too much or you're not enough, that is how we often feel. Well, we need to right-size and be liberated from this. And so this morning, we're going to look at a man called John the Baptist. Any Baptists in the room? Any Baptists? Any Presbyterians? Any Catholics? Any Pentecostals? You can raise two hands. Two hands. Shake them like you just don't care. Um, okay, so... He's not a Baptist. He is a, someone who baptises people. So I'm going to read a big chunk of Scripture and then we're going to pray and we're going to know who we are and who we aren't. So verse 6 of John chapter 1, if you're someone who needs to read the words, I think they're coming up on the screen for you to stay focused. Verse 6, if you're someone who needs to imagine the scene, feel free to do that as well. In verse 6 of John chapter 1, it says, John sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The light is talking about Jesus Christ. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 14. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about. When I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Verse 19, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptise? John told them, I baptise with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognise. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the River Jordan where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognise him as the Messiah, but I have been baptising with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. 
I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptise with water, he said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I can testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said, down to verse 22 of John chapter 3. It says, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptising people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptising at Aenon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptising people and everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and to hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So Heavenly Father, we submit to you this morning and ask for every single person in this room, Lord, that they might have an understanding of who you've created them to be, Lord, and that you are enough for them. Lord, that whatever inadequacies, Lord, they feel or whatever extra they feel, Lord, that you are enough and that you are able to take them and lead them and guide them to wherever you've got for them. Thank you so much, Lord, that you're a good Father and we love you this morning. Amen. Amen. So number one, know who you aren't. Just turn to the person next to you and say, who the heck do you think you aren't? And the other side and say, who even aren't you? Who, who, even, who aren't you? Who you aren't? You see, the thing about John the Baptist is he knew exactly who he wasn't. He says it straight up at the start. I am not the Messiah. He had a good understanding of who he wasn't. He knew who he wasn't. And for us to, in order for us to have God as enough for us, we need to know who we aren't. Now, John said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the saviour of the world. I just want to let you know this morning that neither are you. And you might say, well, I wouldn't, I never thought I was Jesus, Bron. But have you ever felt the need to rush in and rescue? Have you ever felt the need to rush in and control things because you don't like where a certain thing is going and you want to control the outcome of that and you want to fix that? Have you ever felt overly responsible for your family? and felt the need to fix them or to save your children. We all at times have had the saviour syndrome or the Messiah complex, and we need to know that we are not the Messiah. John knew very well, I am not the Messiah. You might say, well, Brian, of course, we're not going to compare ourselves to Jesus. Andy Stanley talks about comparison like this. He says that we don't tend to compare ourselves to, um, to people who are nothing like us. I don't compare myself to Josh. Josh is a runner. Enough said. <laughs> you know, you run if you're getting chased and then you've still got the option of playing dead. That is, they're your, they're your options. That's it. Josh is a runner. He is fit. He is, you know, this ultra guy. I'm not going to compare myself to Josh. I, I don't wear my wife's jeans. Sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a wife. <laughs> um, but I, I don't compare myself to Josh. I compare myself to people who are very much like me but a little bit better than me. 
Now, I want you to think about John the Baptist for a second. John the Baptist, he was, he was this guy who had this incredible birth story. His father, Zachariah, was a religious man who worked in the temple and was praying in the temple and was visited by an angel. And this angel comes and says, Zachariah, you're gonna have a son. He's gonna be amazing. He's gonna be pivotal in the kingdom of God. He's gonna turn the people of Israel's hearts back to God. And you're gonna call him John. He's gonna be different. Cool birth story that is epic. Until you hear about his auntie on his mum's side's birth story. Same angel visits her and says, you're gonna have a son, Mary. He's gonna be God. <laughs> he's gonna be the one true God and he's gonna come and show us how to live. And he is actually going to turn people and bring in the kingdom of God. He's gonna usher in the kingdom of God and save the whole world. So Zechariah had a really great story until Mary had her story. And then they're cousins, right? And they're growing up together. And I just picture them at 12 years old. Has anyone ever been to their nan and pops? And their nan and pop just talk about your cousin all the time. Anyone with me? Not just our family. Um, and and so, so Jesus is there in the temple and the rabbis are all like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you ask such amazing questions. Oh, here's your slightly older co- cousin, John. John, do you have any great questions? And John's like, I just want to know where my mum and dad are. I feel so scared. They're left without me. And Jesus is like, oh, come on. Like your cousin, it's someone who's completely like you, but a little bit better than you. That's who you have the temptation to compare yourself to. So he's John and he's baptising people and his ministry is growing. And then his disciples get up and leave him and go and follow Jesus, his cousin. Now I feel like John, if he had temptation to compare to anyone, it should have been Jesus, but he doesn't. Why? Because he knows who he isn't. He knows who he isn't. So let me tell you today, you're not the Messiah, but nor are you your cousin, nor are you that person at work who just got that promotion, nor are you whoever it might be that you're tempted to compare to. When you're in your teens, you're not comparing yourself to someone in their late 20s. They're old. (laughs) Their life's basically over. If you're in your teens... You're comparing yourself to someone who's at school or at uni, who's slightly better at school than you, who's slightly better socially than you, who's slightly better at sport than you, but you're not them and you don't need to compare yourself to them. You know, this is something that if we can get set free from wherever we are right now, saves us as we move forward in life because you can compare yourself all the way to the way that people are retiring better than you, holidaying better than you, leaving a better legacy than you. We are best right now just to leave that behind and say, well, I know who I'm not. How good if we can get set free from that this morning. How good if we can also not, not only who we aren't, but also what we aren't, what we aren't. I wonder if this morning you're someone who feels like you need to be everything, and, and you don't realise that actually God's put people around you with different gifts because they're supposed to complement you and you're supposed to work together. To know what we aren't is really helpful. John said, I'm not the light of the world. I'm not the Lamb of God. He knew who he, knew who he wasn't, but he also knew what he wasn't. And what is it today that you need to realise that you're not? I thought I had to be all things I thought I had to be really, really organised. And, and if there were people at work that were more organised than me, I felt like I was failing. And yet I just had to know what I wasn't. Yes, I needed to get better at a bunch of things, but I I needed to know that, okay, I can't be everything and that's okay. Let me tell you what else you aren't. You aren't your biggest stuff up. You aren't your most recent hiccup. You aren't what you're struggling with. You aren't your most recent mistake. You're not only not Jesus, you're not your cousin, 
but you're not what you've done either. Know who you aren't and know what you aren't. So that would then lead us to who are we? Turn to the person next to you and say, who the heck are you? Turn to the other side and say, who even are you? And today I want to give you three keys, three keys to know who you are. And the first one is this, humble in your heart, to be humble in your heart. And it goes really tightly with the second one, which is to be comfortable in your skin. And you might say, well, Bron, how am I going to learn humility? I, I want to tell you today that God will always teach you and draw you into deeper levels of humility. And as he does that, he will take you into deeper levels of comfortability with who you are. As he leads you into humility, you're going to get more and more comfortable with who you are. So humble in your heart, humble in your heart. I love what John said. One of the things that we need to do is let go of a main character mindset and be okay with main character moments. Now, you might think, what on earth are you talking about, Bron? Yeah, I had no idea either. But my daughter, Kate, came home one day and she said, Mom, school is annoying me. Everyone is annoying me. Now, Kate's an introvert, like I said. She spent a good portion of primary school under her bed with the cover down, reading under her bed because she did not want to be bothered by her siblings at all. And she's like ultra introvert. So for her to come home and say, people are bothering me, not such a big deal. But I did ask why. And she said, all my friends at school have a main character mindset. I said, what's the main character mindset, Kate? And she said, oh, like, if one of the girls sneezes, sneezing is a natural thing that everybody does. They're like, achoo! Oh, my gosh, did you hear me sneeze? <laughs> oh, I'm so quirky. <laughs> and it's like the whole world is revolving around them and narrating their life story. I'm like, okay, wow, Kate. And she said, I get it because I feel like the universe revolves around me as well, so I understand. But with all of us feeling like that, that's a whole lot in the room. And I said, okay, Katie, I get it, I get it. Now, compare that with Bella, who came home for my birthday last week, so I'll be joining the birthday bash. Um, and, and she came home and she, I said, how was your trip, Bells? And it was the first time she'd driven. She'd been catching the train before that, but she'd driven from Sydney to Tamworth. She said, oh, Mum, I had this main character moment. Um, I was driving along this country road. There was no one else on the road. A country song came on the radio. I had the windows down and I'm just singing at the top of my lungs. It was this main character moment. I was like, oh, that sounds cool, Bellsy. That's unreal. And then you think about Locke. Like, I hope he enjoyed his main character moment yesterday. He said to the team, I'm jumping on a plane after this to go to Canberra. And they were like, can we go to church? And they all imagined him in his private jet when really it was like um, that went down. But, you know, I just picture Lockie getting off the plane to the airport and like, hey, just won my game. Hey, um, main character. So I hope he enjoyed his main character moment. I hope he enjoyed it. But what I would really hope that it doesn't shift into a main character mindset. He loves all the sporting commentaries. He loves Michael Jordan and The Last Dance. But I don't want him to have a main character mindset where it all revolves around him and who he is and what he's doing. It's important for us. We're going to get main character moments. John the Baptist, he had some main character moments. So let's enjoy them, but let's not get caught inside them where we think we're the main character. Because just as the whole earth revolves around the sun, so our lives are meant to revolve around the sun who is Jesus. Everything is meant to be for his glory. So how we guard against that main character mindset is that in our main character moments, we just remember him. And we ascribe thankfulness and gratitude to him. We, we say things like, oh God, this is awesome. Thank you so much that I'm getting to do this right now. You know, I have lots of main character moments. <laughs> They're embarrassing. <laughs> but I'll be on a mountain, having hiked up and a breeze will blow. 
I'm like, like I just feel like the main character right there. But I'm like, God, thank you so much for this moment. And as we have these moments across our lives, the way we align them is to just bring God into that moment. Remember that he's the one who gave it to us. I love what John said when he said, you know what? I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just the friend who gets to stand next to the bridegroom and be really, really happy for him. Can we be really, really happy for what God's doing on the earth? And can we be really, really happy for for our friends who are doing well? Can we be really, really happy? Are we okay with saying, I need to become less and less and fade into the background a little bit so that a spotlight might be shone on what Jesus is doing here? Can we be okay with that? Main character mindset to main character moments. I think, unfortunately, in some corners of the church, we've perpetuated this main character mindset. We're like, God's going to do great things through you. You're going to do big things, big things with God, Josh. And Josh, in his 20s, is like, yeah. And then in his 30s, he's like, I've still got time. And then in his 40s, he can't tie his shoelaces up without groaning. It's like, when are the good things? I'm like, I don't know why, Josh, it's just coming out. You better pray. I love you. I love you, man. Um, we, we need to continue to, to know that, Okay, let me, let me read to you because I need to stop bagging Josh out. Let me tell you, this is what the Bible says, okay? Listen to this. Imagine if we changed our mindset from doing big things for God to doing good things for God. Because that's what the Bible says. Let's listen to these verses. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 22, Wow. 2 Timothy 2, 21. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And we know that Jesus, when he went about the earth, he went about doing good. He went about doing good. This is the thought that I owe to my friend Stephen Lott. He said this, I don't think that anyone would argue that what God has planned for each one of us is good. I just wonder if we were the ones who decided that for those things to be good, they had to be big. And we, I led youth ministry where we sang, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. And if you listen to that whole song, man, it's talking about prayer and the spiritual atmosphere changing as we pray. But because of, the secular framework that we've put around it, we would say, well, I'm going to be a history maker. My name is going to be known. I'm going to last. But that's all about me. And instead, God calls us to do good things for him to be glorified and it for be, to be for people's good. Less and less. Humble in our heart and comfortable in our skin. I was at Colour Conference once. I was about 29 years old, I think. And Priscilla Shire was preaching and I was like, I mean, she, that woman's a weapon. She's incredible. But I ended up being there early and I was looking at the platform and I, I felt God say, I didn't hear him, didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt him in my heart say, Bron, you're going to do great things. I'm like, ha like, I'm looking at the pla- I see, I see what you're saying, Lord. Platform, color conference, that's what you're saying. And in the next breath, he said, but not in the way that you would expect. And in the next 10 years, maybe a bit less, I travelled, the place I travelled to was Gyra, 
Gara is a town of about 1,500 people, an hour and 45 minutes north of Tamworth, where I would preach to five to 10 people. And I began to love those people like crazy. I began to get joy out of doing that good work for the Lord. And that became great rather than what I expected that God was saying about being great. And I, it blessed me because I became comfortable in my skin, comfortable with what God had for me wherever it was. We can, we can be like that. We can find what it is that God's got for us right now. And so that would be the question I would encourage you to ask. God, what are you doing right now in my life? What is it right now that I, I need to be doing that's good for you? And God would tell you. I believe that God will show you. I really do. You know, and there will be things that you wouldn't expect. There will be things like service. In my quiet time, I've just been reading through Genesis again and just got to nearly the end of Joseph's story. And it struck me that he's, he's served his dad. Then he goes and serves Potiphar. And then if you don't know this story, it's in around Genesis 35 to 39. You can read it later. And then he goes and serves Potiphar, this slave owner. And then he goes to prison, falsely accused, and serves the prison warden. And then he goes and serves Pharaoh. And his family's saved, and there's a great God work in the midst of all that. But actually, he works for the dynasty. Do you say dynasty or dynasty? Yeah, whatever you just said. Um, <laughs> He works for the dynasty, not of his own family, but for Pharaoh's. He gets Pharaoh's riches and wealth out of Egypt to be increased and increased and increased. And so, yes, maybe for one generation he served his family, but really he's built up Pharaoh's because for Joseph's life, it's all about service. And God was speaking to me through that. It's all about service, Bron. It's all about being a servant. It's all about being a servant. So God at various points in your life will just teach you more things, more humble in your heart, which creates more comfortability in your skin. You just get okay with whatever God has got for you because you're not looking at what's happening over there and God, should I be a part of that big thing over there or what's happening over here and God, are you leading me over here? It's just about being comfortable in my skin and serving wherever I'm at, comfortable in your skin. And then finally, I'm gonna ask the team to come up if you wouldn't mind. Because we need to be not only humble in our heart, comfortable in our skin, but confident in our call. Confident in our call. We love to put labels on things. And they said to John, are you Elijah? Elijah was this epic prophet who like rained down fire from heaven, who sledged the other prophets of Baal. Is your God on the toilet? Is that what he's doing? Maybe my favourite verse in the Bible. Um, but he, he sledges them. He's an Aussie sledger, Elijah. He, 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 you know, he, does it, he sees amazing things happen. He sees dead people come back to life. He sees people provided for incredible profit. And they say to John, are you Elijah? And John says, I don't know. But the fact is, is that God said to his dad, Zachariah, he will be like a prophet, Elijah. He'll be like the prophet Elijah. And actually Jesus says later, when they say to him, who was John? He was like, well, he was the second Elijah. But John himself didn't need the label. John himself said, I don't need to have that title. I don't need to have a, a, a title on my call. He said, I'm just a voice. And I'm just doing what God's got for me at this time. I'm just a voice. And in being confident in our call, we just need to know that God has called every single one of us. If you're here today and you've made a decision to follow him, You've only done that because God has called you. And in this passage in John, John chapter 1, it says in verse 12, it says, For as many as have believed Him and accepted Him, 
He gave the right to become the children of God. If you're on a label today, that's your label. You're a child of God. If you've decided to follow Jesus, you're wondering, what's my call? 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 Your call is that you're a child of God. Your call is to know Him and to be known by Him. Your call is to love Him and to be loved by Him. You're like, yeah, but Byron, what am I meant to be doing? You're meant to be a child of God. You're meant to be in the love of God. And, and you know, we might put all kind of things around that and we love to know exactly what that is. But fundamentally, unless we get that, nothing else will ever be enough. But you are a child of God. Maybe this morning you don't know that you're a child of God. And today's a day that you can actually know that you're a child. It says, to as many as have believed Him. Maybe today you're like, well, yeah, I do. I believe in God. But then there's this other point and have accepted Him. That then He gives them the right to become the children of God. Maybe you've believed God for a long time, but maybe you've never accepted Him or invited Him into your heart. And so today I'd love to pray with you. And uh, Josh is going to give us instruction after this, but I'd love to pray. And, um, and so I just wonder if today you could close your eyes. Now we're pretty familiar with bowing our heads, but I wonder if you could actually just lift your head today. The Bible says that God is the lifter of our head. It says that He shines His face on us. He shines His countenance on us. It says that He loves our face. So I wonder today if you could close your eyes and, and actually lift your head and know that God wants to be your Father. For those of you who have received the Lord, for those of you who have decided to put your faith in Jesus and what He's done, you need to know deep down right today that you are a child of God. He loves you. He loves you. He is a good Father who loves His children and loves to give good things to His children. But maybe today you are not sure that you're His child. You're not sure that you've ever, can pinpoint a moment that you've received Him. And today I wanna give you that opportunity. So today if you say, yes, Brian, I've believed in God or I now believe in God, but I wanna receive Him today. I wanna accept Him as the boss of my life. Would you put your hand in the air and I'm gonna pray for you today. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. I'm just gonna gonna pray for you. Do you wanna accept God into your life today? To say, God, I wanna follow you. If that's you, just go ahead and lift your hand. That's awesome, great decision over there. You can put your hand back down. Is there anyone else here today who would say, yes, yeah, great decision. Great decision, awesome. Okay, I'm gonna pray for you and then I'm gonna hand back over to the team. Lord, I thank You, Lord, for every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that You would lead them to the liberation of knowing who they aren't, knowing what they aren't, and knowing who they are. Lord, I pray that, Lord, You would work that humility in them, that they would say yes to that new level of surrender. Lord, that would lead them into that greater comfortability in who You've created them to be. But Lord, I pray for every single person in this room, especially those that have made the decision to receive You today. Lord, that they would know that they are a child of God and they would be confident in that, in that call, that they would not compare themselves to anyone else, but they would be confident in the call of being known as a child of God, that You are their Father, that You love them, that You will lead them, that You will guide them, that You will protect them, that You will provide for them. Lord, I pray that that would be a knowledge deep on the inside of every single person here, especially, Lord, today, those that have made a decision to follow You in Jesus' Name. Amen. I mean, church, can we celebrate with those people who made that decision?
It's an awesome decision. We're joining with heaven. Thank you for listening. Please connect with us at adifferentlight.com.au or join us at one of our Sunday gatherings.